It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the podcast, I have Holly Porter again. Now, for those of you who heard our first podcast, Holly shared an incredible story about literally being saved by her horse, being rescued by him and having an accident and and sending her horse to get help and her horse coming back with her friend and being able to find her and she was life flighted and she had an incredible recovery story and it was a beautiful, a beautiful story about listening to the Holy Ghost and receiving an answer to prayer and how animals are intuitive and have sweet spirits and how they're sometimes sent here on earth to help us. Well, Holly has just an incredible life in general, but she, I asked her to come back today to talk because she has a really amazing story about, again, when life doesn't quite turn out the way you think it will and overcoming extreme trials in your life. We all go through trials. We all go through difficult things. Some just have, I don't know, some are just a lot harder than others and and have like subsequent trials right in a row. And so Holly has an incredible story that I would love for her to share today about her son and a fire is all I'm going to say her son and a fire. Just so you know, Holly Porter is, she's a speaker. She's, she's writing a book right now. She speaks all over Utah about overcoming trials and and relying on the Lord. And if you want to check out more or, or book Holly for a speaking event, it's hollyportersride.com. You can learn a little bit more about Holly on there. She's a cowgirl at heart. They live on a beautiful farm. They have a ton of animals. So Holly, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come talk with us. And you can just kind of jump right in with your story if you want to. <laughs> hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me back. I have seven kids. My I have five boys and two girls. My oldest is 22. My second, so number two in line. She is on a mission. She is 19. She'll be turning 20 in October. Then I have my third son. He's getting ready to go on his mission. He's 18. So we will have two out for about a year, a year ish. At the oh. same, time. so that'll be fun, fun and challenging. Yeah, but worth it because the blessings are wonderful. When you have a missionary, you just have these wonderful blessings that bless your home and family. So, so true. Yeah, it's wonderful. So, and then I have a, my next son, he's a junior in high school. He's 16. He actually just went to homecoming on Saturday and had a ball. So that was fun. And then my number five, she is in ninth grade. So she is 14 turning 15. Then I have an eighth grader and he will be turning 14 in November. Then my youngest is 10. He just turned 10 a week ago. So you had a lot of your kids are very close. Yes. Yes. Yep. Actually my, so number five and number six, they are actually only six months apart because number six is adopted. So we adopted. Oh my goodness. So you had, you, you had one and then had another, was he a baby? Yes. Yes. So actually when our daughter was just a few months old, 
I was watching October conference that year. And right after the Saturday morning session got told that there was a little boy I needed to find. And I thought I have a baby like that's just yeah. old. Um, <laughs> this is hormones talking. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I, is this real? Did I really get this prompting? So I definitely had to do some pondering and praying and fasting about that to make sure I really was getting told. And I indeed was getting told, you know, about him. And so finding him was such a fun adventure and just the miracles that came into place as we went through that. So when I actually found him, he was actually only two months old. And by the time we got the adoption complete, because international adoption takes, there's a lot of that goes into it and it's a huge process. Oh, so where's he from? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Okay. And so when we got everything done and went to pick him up, he was nine months old. So, Oh my goodness. So, and that was another miracle because technically it only took us like seven months to get that's the actually incredible. Done. Oh yeah. That, that's actually really fast. The, they told us it usually takes about 12 to 15 months to yeah. get it done. So yeah. yeah. And I know some families it's taken like two years. Yeah. And they're like toddlers when, yeah. Mm -hmm. When you saw him, did you know, oh yeah, there he is. That's ours. Yeah. So I actually got woken up. I am not a morning person and, and the Holy Ghost just woke me up at 6am one morning and was like, you need to get on the computer and find your son. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that, that is kind of a tall order. And I was like, just had this huge drive, this huge, like, like I was getting poked in the, you know, side, go on, go, yeah. on, go find him. So just got on the internet was on the internet all day long. And it was four in the afternoon. And I remember I was just going from agency to agency looking at because I knew there was a few things I knew. So I knew that we were going to be adopting internationally. I knew that I was looking for a little boy, just trying to find an agency, first of all, that would accept our family was a big challenge because yeah. at the time I had five kids and normally they, a lot of agencies don't want to work with families that big. They just want to work. If you have one or two kids, that's like their cutoff. You can't adopt through them if you have more than one or two kids, which was crazy to me that that was the situation that anybody that has a big family, they, a lot of agencies didn't work with. So that was a huge hurdle. So four o'clock that night, I finally found an agency. My first question started to be to all these agencies, do you work with families who have five kids? Yes. <laughs> yes. Tell me I right now. Waste time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So four o'clock, I got on and found this agency and they were like, have you looked up our websites? And so they kind of talked me through it as I was on the phone with them and pulled up their website and their profile picture was of my little boy. No and way. I saw him. I, my first thought was, oh my gosh, he reminds me so much of my brother. Because when my brother had a baby picture, there were just so many similarities in their facial expressions that they're... I can't even put it into words. You know, when Joseph Smith passed away and then Brigham Young got up to talk and everyone in the congregation saw Joseph Smith in Brigham Young talking. And so they knew Brigham Young was the next prophet. That was kind of the experience I had with Temis. Like when I saw him, I saw my brother. So I knew that was my son. Like I, I just knew that that was oh, him. That is so, so, so yeah. And they actually told me when I was on the phone with him, they were like, if you're looking for a little boy on our website, the pro our profile picture is a little boy who was matched with a family, but just got returned to us. Like they returned the profile and said, we just have the strongest feeling that he is not supposed to be our son. He's supposed to be matched with another family. And they had been matched for like a month. 
Oh my goodness. So, and they were fighting the feeling because they were excited to adopt him, but yeah. they just not, they said that this feeling just got stronger and stronger day by day that he was not supposed to be with them. Oh so my they goodness. just returned his profile to the agency. So they were trying to get him matched again. And that had only happened five days before I called him. <gasps> and wow. yeah, the crazy thing is, I think the reason, well, I know the reason I felt such an urgency that morning. It was just two weeks later that the government came out and said, we are going to reassess everyone that's matched to adopt. And we're, we're not going to, we're going to have new criteria for adoption. And one of the criteria was that you had to have a mother, birth mother and a birth father signature, giving them up for adoption. That oh. was well, my son only had a mom. She was homeless and she, she was the only parent on, on file. And so they said, they told me just a heads up, he's probably going to get taken off the adoption list and we might have to rematch you. So our whole entire family had a fast. And as we fasted, of course, we fasted that he would make it through and get approved to be adopted. And they got a hold of us that next Tuesday. So we fasted on Sunday and that next Tuesday, they got a hold of us and they said, we've had, we have 11 kids that are matched for adoption and only two of those 11 are, have been approved. And your son is one of them. Oh and my they goodness. Said, they said, we don't know why he was approved. We don't know how, but they looked over all of your information and they looked all over his information and they said that they would grandfather him through and let him be adopted for whatever reason. Oh, what a miracle. So, yeah. When the Lord said, get up and find your son, it was because we had to get matched so we could get it through. Yes. Before they, because, yeah. Before, yeah. Cause if they would have changed that and we wouldn't have been matched, he wouldn't have been able to be adopted. So, oh my goodness. What in Kali, your life just gets more <laughs> and more interesting. Every time I talk to you, like, holy cow, this is why I love doing this podcast so much is because I really, everyone, everyone has an incredible story and an incredible life. And I love hearing the details of people's lives and how Heavenly Father is in all the details of, of your life and, and how each person responds to the promptings and the spirit and, and how he blesses you. And it's often in completely unexpected ways and not how you would anticipate, not how you thought. And that's, so he's the one that's 10 right now or how no, old is he? he Either. He's the one that is 13. He's he almost 13. Yep. And then you have your last one is 10 after. after yep. him. Okay. Wow. What an amazing story. Okay. So we're going to talk about your junior, right? Your 16 year old son. Yep. Yep. Today. So, so tell us a little bit about him and then kind of the, I mean, the incredible, I don't even know the, the incredible story about, about your house and, and about his life and, and what is so special about this experience you're going to share with us. All right. I know I sound so cryptic, but I'm like, I don't want to give anything away. I want you to share all the details. So uh, most of my kids have a nickname by me. And so if I refer to him as Coleman, it just comes out naturally because that's just what I've called Colton my whole life. I just, he's my Coleman. So Coleman. he is probably my most tender hearted child out of all my kids. Like he is sensitive, but in a good way. It, he wasn't ever like 
you, you know how sensitive some kids just like emotional sensitive. Yes. He, he's not emotional sensitive. He's like in tune with other people's emotions sensitive. Like empathetic. Okay. So he's just so caring and giving and, and this kid just has a heart of gold. Like he just uh, would do anything for anybody and just feels for other people just on a level that is just so admirable to me. Like I, I, that so and he loves so he is a football fan he is my only youth fan out of our entire we're all by BYU fans. <laughs> he is our only youth fan he loves the Utah Utes and we do give him a hard time about that because oh, I'm sure I don't know I I tease Especially him this year right I'm like Cole you know why you're a youth fan right and he goes why and I said well because you're the only child that the doctors dropped on their head <laughs> <laughs> there's no other explanations then like you were dropped on your head that's why you support university of utah <laughs> Something I'm, just, I'm just teasing i just you know we joke but we would we would just like to put in a quick plug yeah. yeah byu beat utah this year okay and all right so keep going <laughs> so yeah he loves especially football so football is his game he awesome he played baseball he played basketball but football was his thing so he loves sports he actually when he was little like six five and six he would beg me mom can I barrel race with you and Lexi and Alan my oldest two um, were barrel racers and so he always asked to go and he was so young at the time and he didn't know how to ride and I was just like oh you have to go so fast on a horse and five and six year old I just don't know that you're ready for that so I made a deal with him I said okay as soon as you turn seven I'll teach you how to barrel race. And so as soon as he turned seven, I taught him to do that. But his he was playing football as well. So his football and barrel racing schedules were clashing because football is like every night and then games on Saturday. So six yeah. days a week. So it was very, very, you had to commit like all your time to football. Oh, yeah. son. Unfortunately, we don't have time to do both. Like you, there's like no time for riding because you're so involved with football, which is totally fine. Well, and you have seven kids that are all yeah, Yes. Well, yes. So although my husband helps out, so he gets credits, but just for but his it's busy. Schedule, yeah. Yeah. For his schedule, I just thought there's no way we can fit both in. Yeah. You got to so choose. I, I asked him, I said, you're going to have to choose buddy, which was really, really hard for him. I'm because sure. Because he thought this is how sensitive he is. He thought if he chose football over riding with his mom, it was going to hurt my feelings feelings and so so torn on what to do and I said do what makes you happy I promise I'm not going to have my feelings hurt I really want you to do what makes you happy yes he chose football and we just were totally 100% committed he loved the game he was good at playing his coaches loved his work ethic and then his eighth grade year he got injured and wasn't able to play so that was kind of heartbreaking he was so sad it was like a part of him died almost i mean not quite that extreme but almost it was oh yeah when he got injured and wasn't able to play and and the injury still bothers him so he still can't play so you know sometimes there's blessings in disguise and he actually asked me to start writing with me again and and he sent me a huge text thanking me for all my sacrifices and helping him ride again and he's competing he's doing barrel racing again and just told me how much he appreciated me and how much he loved that our relationship has gotten so much stronger and closer 
together since we started riding together. So he's really sweet that way. That is so sweet. And and how sweet that it, it came full circle. And man, it's so hard when your kids have a dream and you have a dream for them and you see, think, okay, we've done it. We figured out what they like and what they love and what they're really good at. And it's so fun to watch them accomplish something that you feel like, oh, you were meant to do this. And then to have something like an injury, like something so stupid and so frustrating and life-changing, take them out. And so do you feel like it's important for parents listening to have your kids develop m- multiple talents and, mul- and and have multiple things that they're interested and not be so gung-ho and set on one thing? Because if that one thing doesn't work out, then it's like you are devastated. Your life is over. So did you feel like you have kind of encouraged your kids to have multiple interests in things? I think... I don't know if I started off encouraging that, but I think just by chance, they just happened to have like a backup, like Cole had writing. I have a, my daughter who's in ninth grade, she tried out, she was really, she loves performing. She loves singing. She loves anything that has to do with performing arts is her thing. So her seventh grade year, she tried out for a play and she made it and she loved it. Like she just had the funnest time. In eighth grade, she tried out, and for some reason, she just had so many nerves, like she just bombed the dance part of (sighs) her tryouts, and she had it down. Like, she was so prepared, she had it down, but like she... When she went, it looked like she hadn't practiced. She didn't know anything. Like you would think that she had no clue. <laughs> like that's how bad. When I say she bombed yeah. it, 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 she completely bombed it. So she didn't make it her eighth grade year. And so what she did, because she had tryouts that same later that same year, she had tryouts for Madrigals, which is the elite choir for her school. So she just put all of her time and focus into like, I don't know if you'd call it like a substitute or like, yeah. like number two on her list. I don't know how you want to classify that, but she just put all of her time and efforts into preparing to try out for this elite choir for her school. And which was kind of a blessing in disguise because that helped her make it. I wonder, I often look back and, and wonder, you know, if she would have put all that time and effort into her play, it would have been great. Yeah. Well, that would have been wonderful for her to participate in that and have that experience. But she definitely would not have had the time to pair. Yeah. And be ready for the these magical tryouts. So I think sometimes when with that question, sometimes look at those as blessings in disguise when things work out. That's what I would say. And maybe if you're like, well, this is what my kid loves. This is my children are really into this one thing. And that one thing doesn't work out helping them see, okay, let's redirect our focus. Let's, you know, because sometimes the Lord, we don't see what the Lord sees for sure. And, And so taking a step back and saying, okay, what we wanted and what we thought was the most important didn't work out. So let's try to get on the same page with the Lord. That's what that's what I would say is maybe reassessing and say, okay, what would the Lord have me do? And maybe yeah. getting on the same page and, and then setting your compass in that direction. Yes. I think that's such great advice. And and you and I were talking a little bit before this podcast, but I feel like it's I've learned that it's not necessarily about the thing itself, about making the play, making the team, making that tryout. It's about the process and the development of the person. And there are so many lessons to be learned from being cut or redirecting. Heavenly Father saying, actually, or an injury that takes you out. And it can be, it's nothing to take away from from the devastation of not getting what you've worked so hard for. It is absolutely devastating. And I know for sure what it feels like 
to be cut and to not make the team or the or the or the play and it's but the lessons and and the journey that you go on and and having that faith in heavenly father and saying okay well then now what what now i don't think heavenly father blesses us with only one thing i don't think he says you are a singer you are a soccer player you are a motivational speaker if that doesn't work out too bad your life's over you know and you're a barrel racer it's he blesses us with multiple talents and gives us an opportunity to ask for multiple talents. And, you know, in the scriptures, when it talks about the gifts that that he's given us, spiritual gifts too, he says, ask for gifts. And I think we yeah. can ask for talents as well. And it's funny that I have made everything I've ever tried out for except a play. So I like, I love, I liked dancing growing up. I was never a very good dancer, but I am really, really good at faking it. I'm really good at faking it and I can mimic people pretty darn well. So I would pretend to be a good dancer and they'd be like, do a pirouette. And I'm like, awesome. Have no idea what a pirouette is. So I just watch the girls in front of me and I'm like, okay, it's a turn on one leg. Okay, I'm going to do it. And I'd pretend and I, and I was, I, I had like a ton of self-confidence, not so much in junior high, high school on a lot that I was like, oh, you want me. I'm so good at this. Even if I wasn't, and I'd make the dance teams and I'd make cheerleader and I made all these things singing. Wow. Like I sing, this is what I do. Never, ever, ever have I made the lead in a play ever. I tried yeah. out in high school. Every year. And then after American Idol, that was 72,000 people. I was cut and then called back, made the top six. After American Idol, I tried out for another play thinking, well, now that I've been yeah. famous, <laughs> surely, though, nope, did not, really? still did not make the lead in the play. Hmm. So that is the, that is like my one, that's, that's my kryptonite. That is my one thing that I've never. And so and it's interesting, even in my twenties, I'm like, come on, never made it. But I have learned so many lessons from auditioning and trying out and putting myself out there. And, and I will say that our, our, we did like a multi stake Easter play savior of the world. And I did, I was Mary for that. So, so our steak play. I did. And that was more, they're like, we need someone. And they called me to do it. They're like, can you please, can you please be our Mary? I'm like, sure. So I didn't, that didn't even really count, but it, it really has humbled me. Like, oh man, this, it, so I know what it feels like. And I know to not make something and, and to have your dreams take a, just a different turn and a different road. I want to go back to your son, who's the football player. And, and I want to talk about the incredible experience that he had that kind of changed his life and your life. So after your, for those of you who listened to episode episode one that I did with Holly when she was rescued by her horse and, and almost died. How long after that incident did the fire happen at your house? It was three years, almost to the day. Almost to the day, three years. So tell us about this life-changing experience and how this relates to your son and football. Okay. So the crazy thing is it started out like any other summer day. We were just getting ready for everything that we had to do. I was giving my oldest son instructions because I needed him to run kids places while I ran some errands. Oh, and I can't wait for that day where my son <laughs> drive and help me. Oh, glorious. It is wonderful. Oh, yeah. I... 
the four years between my youngest two are going to be really hard because I'm not going to have a driver for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have had a drive ever since my oldest was able to drive. I've had a driver in the house ever since him to help me run errands. And oh, that is heavenly. so awesome. Yes. <laughs> so anyways, I was giving him instructions and I just was like, okay, when we get back, well, it was a really hot day. So I just thought, let's go swimming at grandma's. My mom has a pool. And so we love to go over there and swim. So I said, let's get all this done and then we'll go swimming. Yes. So he ran to, to take boys to scouts. I ran to Dr. Captain, actually. the If you listened last time, it's the horse that saved me. And he just needed some quick medicine. It was going to be very long. And I actually kept him at a boarding facility in West Bountiful, which is about 25 minutes from my house. So I just ran over there real quick. I was going to give him his medicine. I was just going to go by myself and just out of the blue decided to take two of my kids with me. Mainly because when Alan was running kids places, I didn't want those two home. Even though he was just running up to the park to drop boys off at football and to scouts, which is right down the street. I just didn't want them home. So I took them with me. So I had two, I had Michaela, my youngest daughter and my youngest son with me. So we ran to West Bountiful and I had not even, I had not even been there five minutes. So I gave captain his medicine, was literally walking back to my car to head home, had been gone 26 minutes tops and my phone rings and it was my oldest son. And he says, mom, where are you? And I was like, I'm giving captain his medicine, but I'm headed home now. I'm done. And he was like, you need to hurry. Our house is burning down. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, one thing about Alan, he is such an exaggerator, (laughs) such a tease. And I was just like, okay, first of all, I'm sure he was just cooking something on the stove. We had a gas fireplace. So in my mind, I'm trying to think of a scenario. I'm like 10 bucks. There was like a dish rag or something next to the gas stove that caught fire, probably got a little out of hand and he's freaking out. Yeah, right. Very small scale. And and I'm like, well, where's the fire at? Thought he was going to tell me in the kitchen. And he was like, it's in the garage. And so I said, well, what happened? And he was like, I have no idea. But the whole entire house is almost on fire. We barely made it out of the house. Like, How many people were in the house? My oldest son, my oldest daughter, my third oldest son was at scout camp. So he was gone completely. And then Coleman, the one that plays football in Temis, the one we adopted from Ethiopia. Those were the five that were, no, four that were home. So it wasn't so. And then I had the youngest two. So sorry, I'm counting on my fingers. Too. Yeah, I know. Well, oh, you counted seven them. kids. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure I counted for all of them. So just four, but I'll, I'll back up just a little. So I was asking, well, did everybody get out of the house? And he he said, yes, everyone got out of the house. So I asked about, I had three little Yorkies at the time. I said, did Yorkies make it out? And I was concerned about one because just a few days before, like literally three days before one of my Yorkies had major surgery. And so she was just like bedridden yeah, and still very, very fragile from this surgery. And so I asked about her and they said, yes, we got everybody. And he goes, mom, I sent you a text. Look at your text. He goes, I literally got out of the house, took this picture and sent it to you. Look at your text. So I looked at my text and And I just see my house completely engulfed in flames. You can't even see the front door. Like there is so much black smoke. You can see flames totally engulfing my house. Like it was, and I was was just like, I've only been gone like 26 minutes. How could my house be completely engulfed in flames? Like this 
is so unreal. Like I went into a state of shock. So oh yeah. Oh ever. yeah. Like, this is so, so unreal. Now he had called me at like 503 in the afternoon and I'm in West Bountiful having to head back north to the Clearfield area. And that means rush hour traffic. So I'm stuck on the freeway. I can't even move. We're moving at a snail's pace. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm bawling my eyes out because I'm just like, I'm stuck on the freeway. I can't get home. My house is burning to the ground, just exactly like my son told me it was. So I called my husband and he was just up the street doing some work he does so he's built all of our houses and he was helping my brother-in-law with some sheetrock so he was up the street helping him and I said uh, our house is burning down you need to get home right now and he was like nah and so he walks out the door of my brother-in-law's business and he was like holy cow I can see the smoke from our house from here that I would say that was about 10 miles away from where he was to our house and and that's the comment he made he goes I'm headed home right now he called me and he was like are you getting close and I'm still bawling on the freeway and I'm like no I'm still no, I'm stuck. and I can't yeah traffic is not moving hardly at all and oh I how frustrating where yeah and he's like well you just need to hurry home because we're probably going to lose everything and so him now telling me that we are now losing everything was just so hard and my two kids that were with me because their mom is bawling and and having yes hysterical rightfully so yes yeah so they're in tears and oh it was just a sight so I finally my husband I was like well what about the horses they're in a barn behind our house and he goes they're fine the wind is actually blowing the smoke the opposite way the horses are totally calm they're fine well then my husband calls me back and says how are we supposed to get these horses out of here? Cause you have the truck. And I said, well, I'll call some neighbors. I said, why do you need to get them out? And he goes, well, the winds have shifted and the smoke is all blowing towards the horses. And so now the horses are freaking out. So he goes, some of them were so panicked because of, if you saw the amount of smoke, you would understand there was so much smoke. They were like running into their panels because it just it, it was, they couldn't breathe. It was just so much smoke. I called some neighbors and they were good enough to bring down a trailer and, and help Rick evacuate our horses. So when I finally got home, they were just getting the last, we had seven horses at the time. They were just getting the last load of horses out. The firefighters just told me when I showed up. So I'm really good friends with the fire chief. He was just like, the fire is so hot. We can't, we can't do much except fight it from a distance. He goes, I went up to your house to try to kick in the back door to see how bad it was. And he, you know, their mask that they wear yes. firefighters. Well, he had that mask on and it melted to his glasses, like his eyeglasses. <gasps> because the fire was so hot. So yeah, he was getting treated for burns and smoke inhalation by, they had to call ambulances to treat the firemen because it was just so intense and so massive oh, and hot. Oh my gosh. And they could only fight it from a distance, you know, they did what they could do, but it was just one of those things. <laughs> it was just one of those things. So we actually ended up losing everything. Our house did burn to the ground, just like my oldest said. And the next morning when we woke up, there was just like a skeleton, you know, how you see those like charred two by fours just standing. It was just like a charred skeleton that was all that was left. So what I want to know, Holly, like when you pull up, when you pulled up to the house for the first time and you, you saw it, you saw it with your own eyes, what, what was, what thoughts were going through your mind? Like, what am I saving? Like baby albums and mementos and like literally your whole world like what went through your mind knowing we yes it's just yes it's just 
things like our children are safe, our animals are safe. But yet things are precious. They, 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 they are precious. Like your whole life, everything in that home, all your memories, what was going through your mind knowing we have just lost everything? Like our home, our safety is gone. It was, it was so shocking that I went into a state of shock and it was like being numb. And I don't know if that makes sense. So I was just in such a state of shock. I had a friend there. I served in the Relief Society with her. And I, for some reason, I can't remember if we were still in the Relief Society or we had just gotten released. She had showed up and she actually ran down and got the first counselor in the stake presidency that just lives a few houses down and asked him to come give me a blessing. And because she could just see, she just took one look at me and just knew right away I was going to need help. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Too much. So yeah, she went and got him and, and asked him to give me a blessing. He gave me a blessing and it was one of the most beautiful blessings. I didn't hear his voice. I heard my heavenly father talking to me, if that makes sense. So so wonderful. And that helped me like press forward, if that makes sense. Yeah. Everything away, but it helped me continue forward. And I just kind of was like, lost almost because everything I had was gone and everyone kept telling me, well, we need to sort through the ashes and everything that's left because if there's by chance any of your important papers made it, we need your help to identify them. And so I had to go over every day and help sort through the ashes, which put a whole nother level on this trauma. Oh, (laughs) I can't imagine. I had to actually dig through it. And then seeing everything, like the sentimental stuff that meant the most to me, it wasn't like the stuff that cost the most in my house. It was that meant the most. I had a hope chest and everything in my hope chest. My hope chest was up in my, our office, which was in the bonus room. The bonus room was completely burned. Everything was lost. I had my my mom's temple dress that she got married in is the same temple dress I wore when I got married. And I lost that. I lost all of my, I bought every single one of my kids their own blessing outfit and I was going to pass it on to them. I kept my blessing dress. So my mom gave me my blessing dress. I lost that. All that type of thing was in my hope chest. So those were the hardest things to lose. And just having to sort through all the ashes was so hard. And on morning number three, I remember waking up and the, I had just showered and I went to open the bathroom door and just the thought of, I have to go over there again. And this is so, I don't have any more. It drained, it drained you. Oh yeah. And I just felt like I don't have any more to give. I I go over there. I can't face it another day. I can't face digging through those ashes. I can't face finding half burnt things that meant a lot to me. I mean, like you said, it was just stuff, but just rummaging through it and, and realizing everything you did lose was just too much. And I just thought I cannot face this again. And I was holding onto the bathroom door and I just fell to my knees and I just thought I can't do this. And, and I just started to sob and, and pray. And, and I prayed and I said, Heavenly Father, I need your help right now. I have been trying to do as much as I can and I'm trying to be brave and strong and going through this so people don't have to do it for me. And thank you for all the wonderful people that you have sent to help us through this hard time because friends and neighbors and strangers 
were reaching out and it was so wonderful and such a blessing, but they couldn't give me what was getting drained from me. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And so I was just, I just sat there. I was holding onto the doorknob and I just was saying this prayer. And I just said, I just need you to to help me at this point. I, I don't know what I even need help with, but I just need you to give me, let me know that I can keep going. Please help yeah. me in some way, know that I can keep going. I am not musically inclined like my kids or like you. Mm-hmm. I am pretty much the opposite. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I don't, I'm terrible at memorizing lyrics. <laughs> to songs like I just that is not my gift or talent but at that very moment a hymn came to my mind and the hymn was I know that my redeemer lives and the first line is what repeated in my brain because I'm lucky that I could even think of the first line it was I know that my redeemer lives what comfort this sweet sentence gives as that song was sung in my head i thought i do know that my redeemer lives and i can find comfort in my situation that i'm dealing with right now because i do know that he lives and i just was overcome with the biggest warm feeling from the spirit it was almost like a a blanket or a hug just letting me know that the savior our heavenly father was very aware, very well aware of what I was going through. And I stood up and I walked out of the bathroom. I thought, okay. And when I went downstairs, I saw my oldest daughter sitting at the bar and could tell right away she was having a hard time. And so I asked her how she was doing and she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. So I thought, you know what? I, I don't know that what just helped me will help her, but let me talk to her. I, I just feel like I need to talk to her. So I said, Lex, would you be okay coming and helping me today? Because I had just taken it all on myself. I didn't want to have to burden my kids with help and sort through things. Yeah. And I said, will you come help me today? And she agreed to come help. And so we went over and started sorting through the ashes again. Um, there was one of those cleanup companies, you know, like fire, yeah. flood, whatever. Yes. And they were kind of help helping us know what to do. So they were there and having us go through certain things like paperwork and stuff. So I just, we were going through it and sorting through it at a pretty good pace. And then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost just stopped me. And I just had a prompting, ask your daughter, what's the hardest thing for her? So I said, Lex, we, I'm sorry that we haven't really had a chance to talk since this whole thing so far. What's, I know this is hard because it's hard for me. It's hard for everybody. Everyone is having such a hard time. But what would you say is the, what did you lose that's the hardest? Is it something that we can replace? You know, because I wanted to help comfort her and I couldn't even comfort myself. So I was pretty much stumbling through this and the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Oh, there's, yeah. I'm leading you. You're tripping and falling and stumbling, but I'm going to get you where you need to get. And so I just said, is there, what's the hardest thing that you lost? And she says, probably my, she had just gone to EFY the week before my EFY journal is probably number one. And she said, number two is my two belt buckles, mom. I lost my belt buckles. And I was like, she had won two belt buckles two years in a row from barrel racing. She had to work her tail off because we didn't have money to buy the fastest horses. So she had to work really hard to earn those, if that makes sense. And yeah. she worked her tail off. And I think because she worked so hard, they, you know, meant quite a bit to her. So she's like, yeah. I lost my belt buckles. And I was like, oh, your belt buckles, Lex. Like it just was hard on my heart. So I asked her, I was like, where were they at? And she goes on my dresser and they were up against this wall. So I kind of walked over and looked 
at the this skeleton that was left of my house and thought, you know what? There's half a stairway and some of those trusses are still up there. So I'm going to climb up the stairway and just climb across the trusses. And the crew that was there helping us was like freaking out. They were like, this property is condemned. You cannot. Yes, it's going to collapse. Yeah. And I was like, this property is still mine. I will do what I darn well please. Yeah. I, I feel okay about it. I know that I'll be fine. And they were like, are you serious? And I just said, I feel really strongly about this. You just need to let me do this. And so I went up there and one of the other gentlemen that were there helping us. He was like, well, I'm not letting you go up there by yourself. So he went up with me and we kind of we kind of had to be really careful because it was was not safe. I don't even know how I got away with this except for the Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we kind of shimmied across the trusses that were left and and the roof had fallen down, which kind of gave us like on the floorboards of the bonus room. So it kind of gave us something to step on. And I was just like, I just have a feeling that my daughter's belt buckles are up here. They're either up here or in the garage because the bonus room was above the garage. So I said, this is where I feel like I need to look first. So we just looked through everything. We were sorting through all the ashes. We were sorting for over an hour and we were in the very last corner of what was left upstairs. And I was just handing the gentleman that was up helping me. I would hand him a pile of ashes and then I would sort through some ashes. We finally came across some Harry Potter books. And those were sitting right next to her buckles. And I was like, oh, we're getting close because I found a little crumb of a Harry Potter book. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that was all that was left. Yes. I said, so I know this is the area. And about 10 minutes later, the gentleman that was helping me, he found a buckle and then I found the other one. And we were able to give those back to her. And she, yeah, that's all that she had left out of all of her stuff. She had Were the they okay, the buckles? One of them, yes, the fronts were perfectly fine. The backside, one of them, the little knob that connects to your belt loop was melted off. Yeah. But other than that, the fronts were in perfect condition. So it was kind of a miracle. So anyway, so that was amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> and then last story about this that I want to share. That, that night, all of my kids were still kind of mopey and kind of sitting around the family room at my mother-in-law's house because my mother-in-law lives next door. So that's, that's where you were staying. staying. Okay. Yep. And <clears throat> they were kind of just, nobody wanted to do anything. My oldest, he was doing cross country. Lexi, of course she did horses. Coleman likes to do football. Temis did football. Nobody wanted to do anything. They were just like, we just don't feel like it. I mean, and I didn't blame them. It was, it's a hard thing. I mean, to, wasn't just shocking for me, but it was shocking for my kids. And so yeah. I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to make you a deal. Everyone needs to go back to their regular activities and just try it for one day. I'm not going to push you to keep doing it, but just give it a try and we'll go from there. Well, that night, I just kind of said a prayer for my kids. And the very next morning, just so happened, well, I guess this is a half a story. And then I'll tell my last story. The cheerleaders from the high school my son went to called and said, hey, can we take you to breakfast? And so right away, that like got him out of his oh, yeah. mood. So he was like, oh, yeah, sure. We can. I'm going to go to breakfast with the cheerleaders, mom. And I was like, oh, thank you. Good. Yes. One was listening to a prompting because he needed that. Yes. And so that kind of got him going again. And then my Coleman, the, my oldest that played football, he was like, oh, mom, we just tell the coaches I don't feel like going to practice because they had been calling and asking. We don't want to push Cole. We know he's gone through a hard time. Just wanted to know if he wanted to come to practice. And so he's like, mom, will you just tell him I don't want to go? 
Had they been going to school either? They hadn't been going to school because school okay. hadn't started. So, oh, okay. so this was in the summer. Oh, okay. Okay. So the, I talked to the coach and I was like, this is kind of how Cole feels. And they said, okay, we totally, totally respect that. Can he just come by? The team really would like to kind of rally around him and see if they can lift his spirits. Can you just bring him by? Would he be okay with stopping by? He doesn't have to practice with us. We just want to, you know, kind of rally around him and let him, let him know that we care about him and he can take as much time as he needs. And I yeah. said, wow, we can do that. So we went to practice and, and the coach came up to me and said, is there anything at all, anything at all. And I said, well, on the way over here, I was asking Cole, I said, what's, what's the hardest thing, buddy? What, what makes it so hard to want to go play football? You love football. Like it, football is your thing. Yes. And he was like, well, it's just hard because everybody knows what happens and I don't want people talking to me about it because it just brings up all the bad memories. Like people focus on it, talk about it too much. And that makes it harder on me. Yeah. So he goes, that's why I want to wait a while when people don't want to talk to me about it. That was number one. Number two was, and he goes, plus he goes, I lost my football Jersey mom. And I don't think the team has an extra and I don't want to not just be singled out because I had this tragedy, but singled out because I don't match. Like I don't have a Jersey to match. Um, the team. Yeah. I'm going to be the odd man out. He goes, that's, I hate being the odd man out. And those were his exact words. So I thought, okay. So when I got there and the coach was like, is there anything we can do? I, I told him what Cole had said on the drive over. And they said, you know what? If there is an extra Jersey in this city anywhere, we will get it for him. And so they just did it all points bulletin type of a thing. Does anyone have an extra Jersey? And there wasn't an extra Jersey anywhere. Like crazy enough. Most of the kids were returning and playing again. So they needed their Jersey. It just did not look good. So they had called me and said, you know what? We really tried, but th we're just not having any luck, but we will keep looking. Like we're not going to give up. We're going to keep looking because they thought there has to be one somewhere. Yes. They had the same thought. Later, they called us and said, you know, we're going to have this tailgate party. Do you guys want to call? It was like a day or two later. They said, we're going to have this tailgate party. We would really love it if your family came and, and joined us with the rest of the football family. So I said, yeah, we can do that. That might be really good for Cole. We went to this tailgate party. And at the tailgate party, they kind of just said, you know, we are sorry for the Porter's loss and we just want to give a little something to Cole. And the coach and the sports director for the city got up and they said, we just have this little presentation for Cole. And they continued. And as they continued, they said, you know what? We asked Cole and his mom if there was anything we could do for him. And they just said that Cole didn't want to be the odd man out. He was feeling really, it was hard enough as it was. And, and being the odd man out kind of just made it a little bit harder. And he was just wondering if there was a football jersey and they just continued to say they looked throughout the whole city. They looked and looked. They just thought, you know what? We're just going to have to call them with the bad news that we just can't find one anywhere. That they tried. And so we, we were all prepared to call them and say, you know what? We looked and looked and couldn't find one. And then he goes, and then I just had this thought, you know what? I didn't look where they keep all the equipment in their equipment shed. He goes, if I remember right, I think there was an extra jersey last year. So I'm going to go look in the equipment shed 
and see if I can find where I put it or if I still kept it. He goes, I, he goes, I couldn't remember because it had been a whole year. And he was just telling us this whole story about how he thought that he probably gave that, that one kid got an extra jersey and he thought, you know, what? I'm just going to give him both his jerseys. You know, if his jersey didn't get washed before a game, he has a spare, you know, whatever. And he was like, I could not remember if I gave him both jerseys, but I was going to go look. So he goes in the equipment shed and starts looking everywhere, sees a box on the top shelf and pulls it down. And there was this extra jersey. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome that there's this extra jersey. I hope when they contacted the, I'm thinking this, I hope when they contacted the kid that this jersey belongs to, that the family was okay that Cole was going to have his name and number and whatever on it. And th that's what I'm thinking. But I'm like, oh, so wonderful that no matter whose name and number is on it, that Cole will still have this jersey. And they pull this jersey out and they said, here, Cole, we want you to have this. And Cole opens it up. The name and number on it was Porter 27, which was Coleman's name and number, Porter 27. No so way. A whole year before this whole incident happened, the Lord knew that there was going to be a little boy that was going to feel like the odd man out. And it was such a testimony to me how much our Heavenly Father is aware of us and how much He loves us and how much He watches over us to see that He would send my little guy a jersey, two jerseys the year before, and just happened to have it kept in a box. So when he lost his original one, he would have his extra one so he could wear it and be feel like he was a part of the team again. So and it was so it was your jersey that you didn't know that the coach had accidentally ordered two of yeah the, he actually said that they randomly sent two of Cole's the year before he goes that has never happened so it was weird that when I'm sorting out jerseys that he had two and he goes I was gonna give both of them to you I don't know why I didn't and I ended up putting the extra one in, in a the box equipment room so, yes yeah so it was just so miraculous. I mean, the whole thing. So. That is the coolest story that Heavenly Father, that you had no idea. He forgot to tell you. He started away. And then you remembered, oh, yeah, wasn't there a family that I had ordered? And it was your family that he ordered an extra one for that he didn't know. It just is such an incredible story of Heavenly Father is aware of us and in the details and something so little like a football jersey but that meant so much to your son like look heavenly father knew and he had already prepared a way for you to feel still included and to feel just a little glimmer of happiness so holly how long did it take to rebuild did you rebuild your home how, how long did that take yeah so rick was like you know what let's just have someone else rebuild because he Rick had built our home. He'd actually built three homes previous to this one. And I was like, sweetie pie, I know it doesn't mean anything to you, but it means so much to me that you were the one that built my home, like that you yeah. built a home for our family. So it really means a lot to me that you build our next home. And he was like, I'm getting so old. I don't think I have another house in me. And yeah, that's a yeah. huge order. <laughs> like, you know, that's I, I don't care how long it takes. Then insurance cares how long it takes but <laughs> we we found out that they were willing to give us a little leeway because they knew that Rick had built our previous one and that I wanted him to rebuild our next one so they were willing to work with us which was a huge blessing and so it ended up taking Rick it took us two years so we had to 
wait two years before we moved into our new home, which did you live with your in-laws? It was worth it. We, yeah, we lived with our in-laws for just a few weeks. And then we found a place, which was another blessing in disguise, literally a half a block around the corner that we rented. Yep. We just rented there. Oh my goodness. So then, and so it took two years. Did you build the same home or did you? No. So the fire was so intense that the rebar and the cement like popped. So they actually had to dig up the whole foundation and everything because the foundation was no longer safe. When that had to happen, I realized, okay, we don't have to pull build the same house, which, and it might sound ridiculous, but I just thought I cannot live in the same house again because it's going to remind me of everything. Yes. That was supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be the same. So I was like, I can't even live in the same house again. Yeah. So we built a completely different floor plan. However, what I did is I took parts of our house that we lost and incorporated them in the house that we built. So we have, we, there was some, we have timber framing and there was parts of the timber framing I was able to save. And I did like some timber framing in the archway of my kitchen. Awesome. And our front door from our old house is the door to my bedroom. Oh. And the brick, I took some brick from that came off the exterior and we put it behind our stove in the kitchen. Awesome. And, and just little things like that, little tokens here and there from our old house kind of incorporated it. So. Oh my goodness. That is it's it's such a devastating story to to lose everything, but I mean, so many awesome lessons of even you just like digging through the ashes and like, of course, fire. Yes, it it devastates, but it also is a symbol of like being reborn and cleansed and renewed. And I'm sure your family grew so strong together because of that. Your faith in the Lord and and reliance on each other has strengthened so much. I have to ask, and I'm sure that that listeners are wondering how the fire started. Okay, I apologize. I always skip over that part. My oldest son took my boys to scouts and came home and parked in the garage. Between that and the time that he was supposed to take them and drop them off football, something in his engine block ignited. And so that started his car on fire. And he had just, he dropped the boys off at scouts, went and got gas, filled completely up and then parked the car. So he had a full tank of gas. So the fire hit that and exploded. And then because it was in the garage, went up in our attic and then shot across the top of our house. So just with all that insulation up there, it was just like, you know, dry, you know, like a brush yeah. fire. You know how those brush fires yes. really fast. So it just hit that and went right across the attic. So the fire was in the garage and then on top of my kids, like in the attic. And they had no idea. <gasps> so my boys, what how they discovered the fire is they were told to get ready for football and they were playing some electronic game. I can't even remember what they were playing. And they were like, Oh, we better get ready. We better go get our cleats. And they kept their cleats. We had a shoe shelf in the garage and they kept their helmets and cleats out there and they were going to go out there and get them. And Temis was about to grab the garage door and Cole hit his arm and said, don't touch, don't open that door. Can't you see the smoke coming out from underneath the door? That means there's a fire on the other side. And he goes, I know what to do. I was taught in school, you know how they teach kids what to do. Yes. To fill the door. And if it's hot, 
that means we're not, we shouldn't open the door. So he felt the door and he burned his hand. It was so hot. And he goes, oh, the door is really hot. It just burned my hand. He goes, Temis, there's a fire. We need to get everybody out of the house. So we yelled upstairs to Lexi because Lexi was up in her room in the bonus room. She had no idea because her she just had no idea there was even she didn't see any smoke she didn't smell anything the alarm hadn't gone off and your fire alarm no because it was in the attic and it was in the garage the two places there's not smoke alarms crazy <laughs> so this that's why the fire just kept burning around them and they had no idea oh my god because there wasn't smoke alarms in those two places anyway so she came out and she was like because the boys were yelling at her and she was like what and then she saw that there was smoke and she could smell it because it was just coming under the door. And she was like, you guys, there's a fire. And they were like, we know. That's why we're yelling at you. Yes. So, yeah. So they all ran out. And they were like, oh, gra- grab a dog. So they all grabbed a Yorkie. And they all ran out. And then they were like, where's Alan? And they were like, he's still in the house. And so Temus ran back in the house. He handed the dog off to Lexi. Ran back in the house. Lexi got on the phone with 911 at that time. Why Temus ran in and got Alan. And Alan, he was like, Alan, Alan. And he opened his door. What do you want? And so you know how brothers are. Oh, yeah. And he saw that there was smoke and he was like, there's a fire. And and Alan turned to them and he was like, what did you do? What did you do that started the house on fire? And Emma's just broke into tears. It wasn't me. I didn't do anything. Yes. Blame me. And so it was kind of, you know, kids being kids and oh, yeah. Trying to manage this without a parent or anybody around. Yes. And like I said, I had only been gone 26 minutes when Alan called me on the phone and I was like, well, have you called 911? And he's like, Lexi already did. And there was actually a driver by somebody had driven by and they saw our house on fire and they had called 911. And I just so that's kind of how the fire started and the kids found it and got out of the house. And that is so unbelievable. And I can't believe, I mean, what a blessing that your kids were not in the car when it started on fire, driving them to practice. Yeah, it was crazy. They, because of the extent of the loss, we actually had two different fire marshals come out and survey it just to make sure that there was no inconsistencies. And both fire marshals came to the conclusion that it was the engine block of his car. So yes, it could have started when they were he was driving around or doing any of that, which would have been scary because I have not taught them what to do if a car starts on fire and how to escape. Yes. The crazy thing is, one thing I also that I forgot to mention, just a few weeks before, like literally three weeks before this happened, I had the strongest impression for family night, we needed to go over like a fire evacuation scenario. What to do if I'm home? What to do if I'm not home? Like we just went through the whole scenario and you know looking back you know why you felt you know when you get those impressions and when you feel strongly but it was just I didn't even think anything of it before I just did it because I thought you know what I remember when my mom um, for family night did this yes and you know that's a because you always wonder what should I do for family night tonight you know what I mean and I just thought that would be a good idea so I'll just go over that and and do that and and ended up saving between that and what my son remembered from learning at school kind of saved him, got him out of the house. Oh, and how old was your how old was your son that's the one that said, I learned this in school that touched the doorknob? In preschool, we went to the fire station for a field trip. So we learned it there. He learned it in kindergarten. He was, let's see, so 2000, 2016 to now, that would be what, five years? Yeah. Yes. 
25. So five years ago. So he would have been 11. So uh, well, to even grade. have, yes, yes. Fifth grade to have, to have like the wherewithal to not just panic and to be like, wait, I learned this in school. Let's feel yes. this and see this. Moment. Like, yeah. I just can't believe I keep thinking like, and we've gone over this with my kids, but it's such a good reminder. Like tell your kids, teach your kids. So when it is in a panic, scary situation, they know exactly what to do and they don't just freeze and start crying. And what do we do? What do we do that he knew? Yep exactly what to do and how to get out and it's it it the whole thing i just it it's unbelievable but it's i'm i'm i i love again just learning about your family they're incredible and and your life lessons that you've learned and it's just a wonderful reminder that no matter what trials how difficult we go through in our life that we can still be happy and 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 we heavenly father is still watching out for us and he sends us tender mercies to remind us that that he's there and and watching over us and cares about us and anyway i i i thought it was a cool story and i couldn't wait it, it's so sad but so beautiful and amazing too the rebirth of your family and your faith so thank you so much for being willing to come on doing good today again, Holly, and to share your amazing story. You have so many others and you share a lot of these amazing experiences and, and so many others when you speak. So again, it's Holly Porter's ride is her website. And if you want to learn more about Holly, her experiences with, with the fire, with her horse, or just everything with her incredible family, go to her website, contact her to come speak. She'd love to speak at an event near you. And Holly, thank you so much again for coming on and for all the good you are doing in this world. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.